as artists, we put pressure on ourselves and define ourselves based on what other people think. And so if we think someone doesn't like something we did or or whatever, we we immediately start doubting ourselves or if we get negative feedback on like social media or Instagram or whatever. And I don't actually think that's a very healthy place to be as a creator. Hello, and welcome to Beautiful Failures Podcast. This is Andy Real, And I'm Stephen Keach. And this is a show where we interview creatives about failures in their life and career that help propel them where they are today. Welcome to episode three of Beautiful Failures with Greg Lutzi. Greg is a mixed-race Asian-American founder, advisor, and artist. He co-founded Visco with his good friend and grew it to be a very, very successful company and app. We talk about his history working with Asterix Studio, who later became an invisible creature. They designed some of your favorite album covers. We talk a little bit about perfectionism and its role in creating, whether it's good or bad. And creative chaos. Greg is a big proponent of creative chaos. So enjoy. All right. So before Greg and I ever knew each other personally, Greg did a design for my old band's poster. Greg, what are your memories of designing the poster for my old band when you're at Asterix? He was at a Seattle-based graphic design studio called Asterix at the time, yeah. and we had hired them. I remember Don Clark, who was uh, one of the founders of Asterix and now Invisible Creature. He's like, hey, we got this poster project. And I just remember him saying something to the effect of like, it has to have a certain element of prettiness, but mostly a lot of like violence and blood. And I was like, <laughs> dang, okay. So I, I can't I can't remember exactly, but I do remember it was something like a violinist playing and there's just like blood everywhere. Screen printed blood, so very classy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, hopefully it, it's said tough, but also pretty. I don't know. What do you think? Did y'all like it, it? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely the pickiest design snob of the band. I liked it. It was very much of that era aesthetically. Yeah, totally. But I think it holds up. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a copy. They're they're still out there. Like I think our I had that record. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> our drummer probably has like 50, 50 copies in his closet yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But um but yeah man, let's um I guess start from the beginning. Like tell us like briefly like Greg, about like where you grew up, yeah, um, and maybe from like the beginning to how you got to like Asterix sure. <laughs> Studio. Sure, yeah. Well, I was born in Colorado, Aurora, Colorado, and grew up in Manatee Springs, which is a super small hippie town. My first memory of creative things was I I was in uh, I was five years old elementary they taught us how to color and and you would you know we had a coloring book colored in the lines I made it look really really nice and I came home and I showed my mom all proud and she said that's cool but did you know if you want to it's totally okay to color outside the lines like you don't have to color inside the lines and I still remember that so much to this day and it it blew my mind at the time because I thought I had quote unquote I got it right Mm -hmm. but really when she gave me that permission or freedom to do that i think that's when i was like oh this is art is cool and so for for as long as i can think of like i've always was drawing things or making things um whether it be designing like sports teams logos or like you know we all went through that like we're doing skateboard logos and stuff like that (laughs) for sure um so so i was always really interested in that i was always really interested in music um played in some little bands in high school. And then um, I got an opportunity to work at Asterix Studio in Seattle. They were doing some of what I felt were some of the coolest artwork at the time for, for sure. CD packaging and T-shirts and screen printed posters. And I started working there and I learned a ton. Don Clark and Dimitri Argis and Ryan Clark were there, and I, I learned a lot from them. I owe them a ton. And that's when I really started getting, like, I just, like, I found my thing. I know that this is what I love to do. Uh, I was doing music at the time, trying to make things happen. I was doing design. And then as a result of us needing photo assets for CD covers or packaging, 
I just was like, well, I'll take photos. And we had like, you know, some old film cameras. We had some digital cameras. And that's where I was like, oh, I really love photography oh. as well. And hmm. so music, photography, design, I guess fashion to some degree, it all kind of comes together. For sure. Um, as just a creative outlet. But yeah. But yeah so. That's awesome. What's your like memories of Asterix? During that time, how old were you when you were with them? So I was in my early 20s, and okay. still to this day, it was my, the most fun I've ever had on okay. a job. I mean, we were crazy. Like, <laughs> like what did, like, um, brief, like, walk us through, like, what did, like, day-to-day look like there? Was it, like, super collaborative? Were you guys always, like, showing each other, like, what you're working on? Or, like, what? Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of that. There was also just a lot of, we made, like, stupid memes and... Nice and videos because it's it's like some days it's like oh man pedal the metal we got to get these comps out we got to get these designs out other days it's like we're not doing anything so we're making videos wearing extra small like band t-shirts and you know just like (laughs) stupid stuff like that to pass the time but this is uh also the studio that did artwork for both andy and i's old bands yeah um greg you're probably you probably uh Nashville-based photographer did our cover. He wasn't that big at the time, but I, I think it was like Dave Hill. Okay, yeah, um, Dave Hill probably, did a lot. Yeah. You probably brought him on or like you probably like... If yeah, you're he's doing, phenomenal. Yep. He's he's doing like big stuff with like car commercials now yep. for photography. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think he moved back here. Yeah, so, he's here. He's yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, But yeah, back in the day, like Dave Hill had a very distinct like almost HDR photo reel look yep. that was like so hot with bands. Yeah. He built stuff. sets. He was one yeah, of the first yeah, people yeah. I remember building whole like sets for a, probably at that time the budget was probably like a thousand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it was all low. Yeah, it was yeah. all low. But he did amazing work. But there was like an energy around like Asterix and Invisible Creature at the time and they were putting out like probably some of the best artwork in our scene and then they kind of like blew up and got big like did you feel like the energy around what you guys were doing at the time well i think i guess what is it 2005 2006 somewhere around there i mean we've been doing it for a bit it started to change a little bit because like don and ryan were working largely on cd packaging and illustration and dimitri and i had started going to more um websites stuff like that and we started getting a lot of jobs around like xbox and nintendo and so there, you started seeing it like kind of a split there. And everything's all good personally wise, yeah. but, but from a business perspective, it started getting weird. Got it. Candidly, I also got a little, I would do so many t-shirts and I started getting a little bored with it. It's like, okay, it's another band t-shirt. For sure, it'll be black. There's going to be a skull <laughs> on it. And then we're going to put like, like a crap texture on the top of it. And so just like, and then band name, right? And so <laughs> for me, I started to get a little bit cynical around that and i so i was looking for new challenges um that being said man it was a phenomenal time Mm -hmm. like i got to meet so many cool bands and see so many shows Mm -hmm. and do a lot of cool artwork i mean i will say really none of it ends up in my portfolio now because it's very much a like early 2000 time capsule that time (laughs) period had a very specific look that i don't think really applies right now now some of the early 2000s have come back into style yes but not that (laughs) yeah for sure for sure and i think it probably will it will yeah to some degree with a twist but yeah like it it definitely feels a certain way yeah but i love it i mean i i feel it brings me warm feelings when i see those absolutely and all the absolutely uh, old artwork so Greg also co-founded a company called Visco, visual supply company that you may have heard of. Like walk us through like what was the time period between like Asterix and you co-founding Visco? Like how long of a period was that and what did that time of your life yeah. like look like for you? So Joel Flory is my co-founder at Visco, who's a photographer and he was doing marketing at a time for a construction company and this is probably 2006 or something. Okay. He hit us up because we had done a website for the band Jimmy Eat World. Do you remember like, it just takes some time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. I love that album. Yeah. yeah. Um, we had done the CD, or sorry, we had done the website. For, for Bleed America? Album. It was, no, it's for Futures, I think. Oh, cool, cool. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Futures. So and, you guys, at that time, you had like a probably decent budget, like major label budget. They're 
a huge band at the time. And yeah, yeah. like it was pretty cool. And I love that band. So yep. that, for me, that was like, oh, sweet. It's a fun project. And we did this like crazy, like probably took a minute to download flash intro with like tons of animation and from nice. like the desert. So like it's awesome. cactus and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But so anyways, Joel had seen that. He hit us up. He was like, hey, I know y'all most do music, but would you do uh, marketing, CD packaging, or sorry, not CD packaging, branding and website for this construction company? We're like, yeah, we don't really do that. But then he's like, well, we kind of want it to be like Dwell Magazine. So we were like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, we're down with that. And so we did that. And then for some reason, I just always stayed in touch with with Joel. I thought he was a, psych- a cool dude. And years later, I did his website and branding for his uh, wedding photography company. That was maybe 2009, I guess, or 2010. And then we just started talking a lot about like, well, you love photography, I love design. What does it look like to make a company that's really there for creatives? And mm-hmm. we would see we'd see other companies that made creative software, but we didn't really feel that they were just like really stepping up to the plate and being part of the creative community. And we we're like, what is what would it look like to have a company that was really for artists by artists? And so we just started throwing around ideas. And at the time, it's 2002 that 2010-ish era, film photography looked like it was going to die, mm-hmm. right? Like Kodak was killing all their film stock and no one was making film cameras anymore. They were all digital. And I love digital stuff, but I really, I mean, I grew up on film. I loved that. Yeah. And so we were like, dang, that would stink if this like dies off. So long story short, we set out to make the best digital film emulations of real film stock possible that's awesome and we didn't want to just like eyeball it so we put a lot of like time and tech and science and behind color theory and all that to create these these film emulations which um that was what really took off with visco and started as building that company and the difference between like a visco filter and the instagram filter at the time was like vast yeah like for sure way better and yeah. uh i don't know if you remember hipstamatic oh yeah oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they were big. yeah i mean yeah was, i mean i used it and then i was like i was using hipstamatic and it was like making my all my pictures look like seven different colors yeah know? yeah and uh and then i remember visco came out and i was like oh this is this is better yeah this is way cooler <laughs> yeah i mean we wanted visco to be visco on a mobile phone we wanted it to be an actual tool for photographers well when we're in that era so much of it was around gimmicks like can we put like orange concrete texture on it like it didn't look it, it had a very like oh that's a mobile phone photo yeah. and a mobile photo editing but it didn't look like classic and real mm-hmm. and so that was our goal is like can we actually make this a real thing a real tool to use yeah. um what did that like i'm curious from a technical standpoint um like how like what did the early like incarnation of that look like you guys were just like taking a bunch of film photos or pulling like archival stuff that you had or like yeah how did you actually build it so zach hodges is one of my closest friends former bunk bed mate former producer for tooth and nail actually in solid state (laughs) yeah nice so he is a very creative and technical kind of mind and so he's he worked to he credit to him he was the one who took this concept and he we basically hacked adobe lightroom to be able to implement these profiles color profiles and so essentially what it the easiest way to put it is we were we were developing real film stock and then we were essentially color matching it to create a color profile that could be then applied to it got it there's there's a lot more stuff that goes over my head but but essentially we have to have the actual film stock to be able to emulate it we're not just like eyeballing it like oh that generally looks like you know ectochrome it's like no we actually have to to produce that and then yeah initially very manually go pretty much pixel by pixel we've we've now developed software that helps do that nice for us and Visco like kind of like blew up. So like yeah. from mm-hmm. like the beginning to like, I guess the 
the takeoff of it, like what, like kind of walk us through that whole period of your life. I mean, you're essentially you're in startup world. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even say startup world initially because it was just a side hustle. Okay. Mm. It was just like, dude, this would be cool. I want this. Um, And candidly, no one would give us money to do it. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. so we had to side hustle it. And so Joel shot weddings for a whole year. I was still, I was creative director at multiple companies. I like, I was working basically two full-time jobs for about a year. Okay. Not, it was not very sexy, but my wife was a beast about it. I'm like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. And then we started, we did start seeing some traction with Fisco, albeit small. Um, and then over the course of probably two to three years is when we, well, we released the mobile version. And that's when a lot of people start, started seeing mm. that. And then, so I was able to, to gradually stop taking on design jobs and just focus on Visco. But it definitely wasn't overnight. And it definitely wasn't the, you know, you see those stories where it's like they just walk in and investors give them all kinds of money. That wasn't the case. They were like, you're a photographer and a designer like, why would we give you money? You didn't go to like Stanford or you haven't worked yeah. at Facebook. Like we were very much outsiders. But eventually three years later, after we had launched some of the film product, after we had launched our own social network without all the likes and comments and metrics, we had gained a lot of people using it, a lot of traction. And we were a brand that artists trusted. And then at that point, then investors were like, oh, okay, maybe maybe there's something here. And so that's when we were like, okay, maybe we need to take some some money, some investment. Candidly, we couldn't pay our Amazon server bill mm-hmm. the next month because like anytime someone uploads a photo online, it's like fractions of a penny. Right. But it still costs a lot of money. But if you have literally millions of people doing that, all of a sudden we're like, oh shoot, we can't pay for that. That's a lot, yeah. So you yeah. you guys had like millions of users before you ever got any investment money then? Oh yeah. Nice. No, I mean the investors were not yeah, we were kind of outcasts in that regard. Um, That's crazy. We didn't have any leverage. I mean, yeah, we really had no reason that they would. But So we had to essentially prove it that this is something real and something legit here. When did you, like, know it was taking off? Did, like, when you launched it, like, with, like, your friends, like, yeah, did you have, like, a gut feeling or were you just like, let's just make something? And <laughs> I was shocked when we, the, the very first day we launched something, I think it was in 2011, that was essentially a film plug-in for Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know how much we sold, but we were like, oh, there's actually something real here, cool. you know. But I, I still don't think at the time I saw that as a legit actually this becomes my thing i thought i would yeah. still be doing design and other things so what uh what's your role at visco currently yeah so i've i'm still very much involved with visco but it's transition whereas before like anytime you start up your own thing you are you are in the weeds mm-hmm. and you're working like five jobs so i've done marketing i've done design i've done copywriting i've done trust and safety which is essentially like how do we make sure that there's not bad stuff showing up on our platform like yeah um i've done a lot of different things but now my role is uh not so much in day-to-day it's almost like i'm advising the company and so i give a lot of feedback or suggestions but i'm not the one who's like i've got to design this button and it's got to be blue right um so it's it's definitely been actually it's been really hard to do that because i want to be very involved with things yeah Uh, most people are like oh that sounds nice and I'm like, oh, but I really kind of miss that too. Yeah, I do miss the hands-on. I think it. there's something about like collaboration like that, where it's like, I, I, I'm somebody who has a, a little bit harder of a time with collaboration because, yeah. and I know I shouldn't say that in public because collaboration yeah. is literally what I I do for a job. But um, it's hard when you know, you create this thing and then you have to let it go enough to let somebody else kind of to grab it and take this off and, and, Oh, we're going to, we're going to change the way we do this or do, do whatever. And that's, that's hard to see. That's hard to look at because you're like, no, it needs to be this way. Yeah. Uh, It's it's also been sort of humbling to see that people do it better than me. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Like 
the team that is running the day-to-day now is the business is better than it's ever been mm. like it's better run i i as a as someone who's highly creative i also bring in a lot of chaos and mm-hmm. for building a company that's trying to grow and scale chaos is not necessarily great so finding people that do things differently and better has been important and yeah. and i realize like I realize, like, if if I apply me as a, as an analogy, like, I'm kind of this like river. I'm just like flowing and going, but I've never had, I've not had the river banks that I need, like the side things to like channel it and grow it. And I've just realized how important it is to have people that are good at finance and legal and managing. Like, I've never been great at managing. Like, I I just like to make stuff, and so it has actually been humbling to be like oh, in some ways by not being involved on the day-to-day, the company is actually better. <laughs> and that's kind of how yeah. I, yeah. What are some, like, obviously with the name of the podcast, uh, failures is a theme. Like, what are some failures that you feel like you learned from yeah. co-founding Visco? I mean, the easily the biggest thing that will keep me up at night still, we had built something incredibly beautiful with this editorial and creative team and this is about 2016 and we were doing amazing content videos articles um it was really quite wonderful and we ended up having to shut it down because we couldn't figure out a way to actually make it into a product Mm -hmm. Mm. so we're doing something that was really cool and spending a lot of money on it and a lot of people were interested in it but we couldn't figure out essentially a business model for that and as a result we had to let a lot of people go that were some of to this day some of the best people we ever employed and for me that that hit me in a way that i mean i it, it just was really sad to see that and I felt strong I felt a lot of failure and it caused me to highly doubt myself hmm. for years to the point that I think it, it crippled my my create my belief in myself or belief in what we should be building hmm. like every time I would say any idea in the back of my head I'm like there, but there's got to be someone better than than me to be running this or, yeah. you know or being part of this hmm. and so I, I think like you make these mistakes or you at least maybe not a mistake you at least try something and it didn't work out um and then how do you process that how do you move forward with that in a way that yes is learning but but you're also dealing with all this personal relationships too because some of some of those folks are my friends yeah um but yeah i think i think the biggest thing i've learned is because there's so many failures throughout yeah. my time at visco is that i I'm not good at everything mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. There are certain things that I'm very good at mm-hmm. and there are certain things that I'm terrible at. And it's, it's much better for me and the company to acknowledge that than to try to put on this front. Like I've got it figured out. Yeah. Like I know everything. Yeah. Do you feel like you've always like what you described, you know, during that period of time after you had to let a bunch of people go, like, it sounds like, like, almost like imposter syndrome in the sense of like, I'm not good enough to like yeah. run this or like, do you feel like you've always dealt with that or did that more or less like kind of open that? Um, no, I've, I've always dealt. I'm like two things at the same time. I am like, I can do everything and I'm going to be awesome. And when, if, when it doesn't work out, I'm shocked. I'm mm. like, oh, I thought I'd be great at making pottery or whatever it is, right? <laughs> I, I just always expect myself to be good. And then there's times where I'm just like, supreme doubt and that can all happen literally within the same day Mm -hmm. it could happen literally you know if i'm making music now i'll open up you know my track and i'll be like i am the best musician ever (laughs) and then within 15 minutes i'm like literally i should never play again right like so so it's both it's mm, both i resonate Mm -hmm. with that a lot i mean yeah that, that i feel like that happens to me almost daily i open a session and i'm like either this is amazing. Right. Like, wow, I'm really good at this. Like, or, you know, I get yeah. to the end of the day and I, my ears are tired and everything sucks. And yeah, 
the whole thing just I feel like it needs to go in the garbage can and yeah. I've got to go to bed and wake yeah. up and see what I think about it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've met some artists that f- at least project this like supreme confidence in their skill set. And I do resonate with that to some degree because I feel that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, then, then there's other days where for some reason it's just, and it's not just days. It actually translates more into weeks and months and years wow. where then it, doesn't flow as much but i think part of it what i realized is it's deeply tied to being a perfectionist Mm -hmm. you know i took one of those um personality tests and and then the coach sat down and was like okay one of the major red flags that i see here is that you are have strong perfectionist tendencies Mm -hmm. and i was like you said that was a red flag like i actually viewed perfectionism as a good thing Mm -hmm. that means a high standard quality it Mm -hmm. needs to be good but but it does definitely mess with my um, when I'm not reaching those standards that I think that I should reach. It definitely starts messing with who I am and all of that. Like my identity can't be found in that. Yeah. But, what do you feel like um, the root of the perfectionism is like with you? Like, have you always been that way? Like, yeah, I, th- I think maybe I have. And even with my kids, like, you know. My son is 10 and he's started jujitsu. He's done it for 10 months and he gets so bummed if he loses to someone who's like 40 pounds more than him and has done it for four years. Mm. But he expects that he should win every time. And I think I do have some of that. Um, I do think some of it might be I, I'm part Chinese and, hmm. and the reality is I think there's a lot of Asian American kids grow up with a certain expectation mm-hmm. around um, who they should be and how they represent the family. So I think there's some of that. I think too, if you've you've tasted success to some degree or you've done something good, you just start expecting that too. And right. and I was fortunate to early on, like, you know, one of my first jobs was at Asterix Studio, which is like one of the coolest. I mean, that's like yeah. freaking cool, awesome. right? Yeah. So so there's that expectation that everything's going to be awesome all the time. And then when that you almost become an entitled brat without realizing that. Right. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you got to grind things out. It doesn't just happen. Yeah. You know. How have you combated, like, those tendencies of, you know, not feeling like you're good enough or, like, feeling like you're out of rhythm? Like, you said it can last, like, years yeah. How have you combated that or what have you learned from that? I think a lot of it is so much of it as artists, we put our pressure, we put pressure on ourselves and define ourselves based on what other people think. And so if we think someone doesn't like something we did or or whatever, we we immediately start doubting ourselves. Or if we get negative feedback on like social media or Instagram or whatever. And I don't actually think that's a very healthy place to be as a creator. I think there's a lot of freedom when you are creating for yourself as for opposed for someone else. Yeah. And and I di- differentiate this from a client. If you're like working for a client, that's just a different animal. Sure. But if you're just making stuff and you are so consumed about the comments that you're going to make, like to the point it's like, if you don't get that comment, you're just like, you start self-doubting yourself. And so for me, a lot of it is, is not caring as much about what other people think about sure. it. And putting also just putting out stuff early. Like I've been working on a, a little project called Works in Progress, and they're just like little art cards, basically. Yeah, very cool. But thanks. I mentioned it before we thanks started recording. But yeah, I, I love everything in there. It's thanks. And, and the idea is, I have years worth of things that I have started and not finished, and they just sit in a folder, or or even stuff now. There's stuff that I'm working on. And to take off the pressure of it having to be done or perfect and to just literally show works in progress. Yeah. And it's actually really freeing. And, That's right. And I think not just as a project, but in a mindset of making stuff. And um, that's allowed me to be like, let's just do other things. Let's just make, let's just go. And I mean, beautiful failures, like that concept to me is, is great. I think it's good to try stuff that we will fail at, mm-hmm. right? Um, I make 
fragrances now. I love making fragrances. That's my most awesome. favorite thing. What got you into that? I heard that in the other podcast. Of, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm like new to the fragrance world. Sure. Well, I, I kind of am too. I mean, I, I started making beard oil when I was in Colorado. Okay. And I got kind of bored with it because everything has to smell like Patchouli. firewood. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> that is a certain thing. But then my wife signed me up for a, a class that we did together. And I was just like, wow, this is actually amazing. I love this. Hmm. And it's really easily the hardest thing I've ever done for hmm. a creative outlet. I, I've literally made hundreds of different fragrances at this point, And I'd probably say I have three that I like. Yeah. Okay. Um, but even just the idea of like, I can do something that I'm not good at and I can try and learn like and discover things like that's the joy that journey is as good as the finished product and yeah. so better than um and so so giving myself that freedom to do that has been amazing and I might never be great at it but that's okay it's like the process and the learning and the trying and being able to talk to people about it. it's fun yeah you know it's real fun that's awesome. Absolutely. Do you think, uh, going back a little bit to perfectionism, do you have any like projects that are still sitting on your hard drive or sitting somewhere that you feel like, you know, uh, have been stopped by your perfectionism or you can't return to them? Or I think at this point in my life, it's less about, perf- it's, it's stopping about perfectionism. It's more about like finding time mm. for things. Cause I've got three kids, I've got jobs and, um, so I do think there's some element to that. Um, I mean, there's definitely music projects that, right. that I've started that, I, and I don't know, maybe I'd call it perfectionism. I'd also probably call it like, I don't have the skills needed to accomplish what is in my head. <laughs> so, right. so I know where that song needs to go. I, he, I, he, I literally can hear it in yeah. my head, but I don't have the technical capabilities to actually play that mm. at this point. And so I have spent a lot of time the last six months just like learning, I guess, more sound design things, yeah. um, learning a little bit more about like music theory um, or learning hacks of how to play things, you know, right. like, oh, I can drag on MIDI chords onto, you know, and then <laughs> so like hacks to just oh, together. MIDI is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Fixes a lot of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, to me as long as I'm just like it's to me I realize it's less about perfectionism if I'm just making little steps what actually ends up being over a long period of time yeah. because I have so many other things like to me that's great the process of creating is what is special in as much as the actual finished product yeah it seems like you have like a good grasp on like uh, being able to I guess kind of like utilize perfectionism as like maybe more of a superpower or mm. or something like to where you're able to still get over the hurdle of like yeah. releasing it to the world. I know that there's like a lot of people and Andy and I have talked about perfectionism all the time and uh, for sure. Uh, whenever I'm feeling that way or whenever like that perfectionism is kind of like creeping up in me, I I end up doing destructive things like yeah. shell, like maybe even just deleting a whole session or okay. something where I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not good enough or whatever, right. you know, like when it's perfectly fine, like, I don't know. Uh, and, and I know a lot of people who will keep their work on their hard drive and will just sit there and sit there. And like, and I, I, I kind of think that like, especially digital art, if you're, if you're, you know, recording music into a computer or doing, Something when the longer something sits on a hard drive, the more likely it is never yeah. going to see the light of day. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I know a lot of people struggle with that, so that's why I yeah. kind of get your take on that because yeah, it seems absolutely. like you're able to to get that stuff out there. I mean, my mom gave me some other advice a long time ago, and she's like, basically, if you have something that is good and you are not using it and you're not sharing it, that's actually selfish. Wow, yeah. yeah. And I was like, what? You know, that kind of hit me <laughs> in a different way. But yeah. so I, I kind of think about that now. Um, I think the other thing that's helped too is I, I try not to do things by myself creatively. I am trying mm-hmm. to collaborate. And there's the challenges of needing to like uh, not be so controlling about things when you do yeah. that. 
you kind of get surprised a little bit in mm-hmm. good and bad ways when you collaborate. But it also helps the f- it helps things flow a little bit better when you're not the only one who has to push that creative rock up the hill. It's like yeah, um, it just flows a little bit better. So I, I don't do many things by myself creatively now. I'm usually That's collaborating really cool. with a few people that I really trust, um, and that helps a ton. Yeah, and I think collaboration also is like something that will keep a creative out of isolation. I think isolation yeah. and perfectionism Definitely. probably go hand in hand. Yeah, in the sense of I think like you're right. When it's in your head, it's in your head. And I think then, that's right. You know, it's just snowball effect, at least for me. Yeah. In the yeah, past, no, it I has agree. been. I mean, it's been super helpful on this podcast. Even. Yeah. Like me and Andy. I, try, I drive Stephen nuts, but it's, no, it's great. <laughs> I do. Um. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, he, he the perfectionist asked the imper- imperfectionist yeah. to do revisions. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm able to say no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's rad. Was, so you've brought up your mom like twice. Was your mom an artist? Like what's her, she obviously like instilled a lot in you as yeah. far as your creative spirit goes. Yeah, no, my mom, well, actually I, I take it back. I used to not think being a cook was an artist, but my mom, uh, was well she was a baker actually for um a health food restaurant in colorado okay cool and i so i at first it's i was like art. yeah yeah at first yeah. i was like it wasn't but now i'm realizing how much yep how how much it is so i i don't you know my dad was an accountant my mom was a baker and she also was a, a secretary at the time but i do think my mom really pushed me to try different things and um, and then my dad, I think, also introduced, helped me to introduce certain guardrails around like being wise with your money and mm-hmm. like all that mm-hmm. stuff. So I, I think it's a fairly good balance. I try to incorporate both of of their wisdom into how I approach things. Um, just because if my tendency is all creative, which equals chaos. And so <laughs> trying to balance that a little bit, what? create structure for that chaos. Okay. So I'd like to hear your perspective on this. Like what? What do you coincide chaos and create like creatively? Like what? Uh, how is creativeness chaos in your mind? Yeah. So, f- and maybe people's creative processes are really different, but mine I would say is very chaotic. I I do I start with a spark, like, and I fo- what I, I call it following the spark. So if there's anything that is interesting to me, I'm just like what the heck is that? And I start like researching and learning more about it. And it's not just like creating a, a visual mood board. It's more of like, wow, like let's kind of dive in a little deeper and understand this. Um, so everything starts with that, but a spark goes out really quickly if it's not like nurtured. And so when an interest hits me, I go at it really, really hard, mm-hmm. almost obsessively hard. Mm-hmm. And I spend a lot of time and I just, it's really all I think about. And so, and then I just start outpouring things. And and I didn't necessarily think that as chaotic at the time, but I realized like in a corporate business setting when you're constantly throwing ideas and ways to fix things and improve things or like, wow, did you see this new thing that we could do? Like that actually does create a lot of chaos for a company that's trying to establish processes and structures. Um, but for a creative, pure creative, I think, I love that model of like following yeah. the sparks and just making stuff, um, just going and not not being worried. Like going back to the idea of that rushing river, the rushing river is not really worried. It'll run into a rock that's in the middle of it and just goes right around it and keeps mm. flowing. It's hmm. um, a cool idea. But then eventually, you do need some some certain guardrails around that. Some some of the river banks to kind of channel it, or else it just mm. like piddles out into a mud puddle. At some point, you know, like, man. So trying to find that balance of that too, but but I do I have realized that I overwhelm people when in creative set situations coming up with new ideas or concepts. Um, I can overwhelm people, and so I have I've had to kind of try to tailor that back a little bit. Mm. But it's also part of your success too, like the obsessive nature and like you more or less like going all in is I would say why you've seen success with, yeah. with what you've created as well. Yeah, no, I actually probably think that's true. And most of the people that I've met that have done well, they have something that most people would look from the outside and be like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> or like, that's kind of, that rubs me the wrong way or the weird way. Like, 
Um, I mean, I remember when I was working at Asterix and Brandon Ebel, who owns Tooth and Nail, would come in. I was pretty judgmental of him. What were your initial thoughts? I'd love to hear this. I was just like, dude, this dude is a basket case. Okay. And he's just like, I mean, he has these strong opinions and he's crazy. And like, is he treating the artist? I had all these perceptions of him. And I, I ran into him a few years ago. And I don't, we're not like, we're not calling each other. But like, I ran into him a couple of years ago. And I was like, I, I actually have a lot more grace for you now that I've done my own thing and I realize mm. how hard it is mm. and I'm sure he's done many things that he's probably like that wasn't right or I regret that um, but I realize just how hard it is and how how difficult it is to make these decisions and yeah. that impact a lot of people's lives all the time and so it mm. just kind of gave me a lot more grace yeah. for all of that you know for sure. And he built something out of nothing. I mean, what he built mm-hmm. did not exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. At all, really. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I, to your point, I think artists have to have, artists that are doing things that are more than just essentially mimicking or copying trends have to have a certain bit of craziness to them. Yeah. Um, something that's off to, to everyone else or seeing the world through a different way. And I, I do feel... I do feel a lot what we've seen with social media is people essentially polishing off their craziness as a way to get likes and comments. Mm. And I think we've seen a lot of things that start to sound and look and feel the same way because that equals success, right? Like, yeah. Whereas I'd actually say now that people that have few followers that are doing crazy stuff, they're the ones that are at the next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's who I want to aspire to be more of like is some to at least have my own distinct perspective on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, man, I feel like there was a while there where I was like, okay, well if I, cause I, I worked at a company and uh, I got let go net last November. And so I went, went on my own uh, freelancing and, you know, and I was really comfortable at the company that I was at. So I was like, yeah. didn't, think anything about marketing myself as a freelancer or anything like that. And it had been a while since I had done that. And I come into this like, you know, Instagram, TikTok environment now where all the like, oh yeah, you just create reels all the time. Right. And so it's like, you know, you do a reel every day or something like that. That's like the same thing because it's it's all got to be consistent you got to do it yeah consistently every day you're doing something new and i just like there's so much about me that hates the consistency mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i i don't i can't do the same thing every day because i'll yeah. start to rebel against it because it's yeah. like i i need to change it up i need to go do something yeah. else but then you're not rewarded for that right you know on the on the social media stuff right. uh but it's, it's hard too because as I mean, if you're an artist, that's one thing. Artist meaning you're creating personal things for yourself. But if you're an artist who this is your living, I mean, Instagram, for example, is is a great marketing tool for you. And so I mean, I haven't quite figured out exactly what that relationship should look like because I think very few people can be like, no, nah, I'm not gonna do any social media sure. marketing and be successful. Where but on the same, the other side of the coin, doing that can really mess with your head about what is good and what you should be building. I mean, one of the whole reasons at Visco why we started our the the community side where you can upload photos without like the likes and comments and we call them like popularity metrics. Was I was having a conversation with a photographer and I was like, "Hey, I like your I like your landscape photos," and they're like, "Yeah, I don't really like them." I was like, "What?" He's like, yeah, "I actually like." portraits but if i upload a portrait onto my instagram people don't like it and so i only post landscape yeah. photos because that's what people heart interesting and joel and i were talking like that just doesn't seem right if that's i i get it if you if you have a client who is looking for landscape photography that's different but it but if your heart as an artist as a creator is a certain thing to not pursue that and to not share that because you're so concerned about literally a like or a comment yeah that was one of the the instigators for us being like what if we just 
strip things down because it's still fun to share your work. Like it's still mm-hmm. cool to get feedback and to learn. And so we we decided to really just strip that back, and it resonated with people. And now, but but now we've realized that no artist really works alone or in a box like we do crave feedback yep. yeah that's needed and yep. so now we're creating these smaller groups uh these spaces that people can hopefully feel safe in to interact and ask questions like how did you do this tell me more about this give me real feedback because because yeah. the reality it someone giving you a fire emoji on social media is not it feels good <laughs> but it's not actually helping you move forward as an artist right someone being like oh I hear that, like, dude, did you hear that? The audio is clipping a little bit. Like, you need to, like, check that. Or, like, dude, that the piano that you use, like, it just doesn't sound right. Or, man, you overexpose that. Like, the, right. the feedback, the things that we actually need as creators to move forward, that's what we're really trying to focus Visco around now. That's cool. Yeah. How old is Instagram? Oh, shoot. I mean, they're probably, like, 2010, 11, or 12, something like that. And when did Visco launch? We launched 2011. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. right around the same time. Yeah. So we've essentially had 10 plus years of Instagram and that whole social media world. I'd love to hear from you. You have three kids you mentioned. Yeah. Like where do you see social media continuing to go? Yeah. Like, do you think it's just going to blow up? Like, like literally like kill itself? Like. Do you think we'll all hit a breaking point? Do you think it'll continue to evolve? Like, I'd love just to hear yeah. your thoughts, like the next yeah. 10 years of this. I think social media will be around as for a very long foreseeable future, but I think it changes and it grows. Like, um, you know, we're, we're doing research and already if you talk to someone who is, you know, let's say 13, they're not down with Instagram. They're like, hmm. oh yeah, that's what my sister uses and it totally messed with her. Right, mm-hmm. and so you're, you're yeah. seeing these new, whether it be a be real or all these other things that are a slight change in reaction to that. I mean, we've seen that with music too. I mean, you had like '80s metal, and then it's like grunge came, which mm-hmm. was a huge reaction. Like all of a sudden, it's like you don't have to dress like perfect and shiny. Mm-hmm. You don't have to play like crazy intense riffs here. It's like no, it's basically like three and four chord angst yeah right mm-hmm. um and so i think you always will see that in in social media too i i hope and i think people are much more aware of the negative impacts of social media now mm-hmm. yeah the problem is we're still all connect we're basically all addicted to that dopamine now too mm-hmm. um especially as artists too and it, maybe that helps us get jobs that mm-hmm. that further complicates things for kids though i mean we are pretty old school as it relates to to our kids. Um, I have seen crazy stuff that people post. What what kids go through and what they're dealing with, the pressure is intense. And yeah. so, as parents, like I think it's so important we're aware, and you have to work freakishly hard to stay on top of like what's going on and what's new. For sure. Um, on the flip side. I don't think we should be looking at technology as like, oh, this is bad. It's like, no, man. My daughter draws amazing things on Procreate. And like Same. Cool. my yeah. son is making films and that is magical. That's awesome. I mean, that to me, I look at that, I'm like, wow, that is so fun. And so we we set guardrails around what they can do. Um because it's it's powerful, but that power can go two different ways yeah they have uh, tools that we never had as kids like, yeah like, i remember trying to animate um on like my super nintendo i had like the mouse <laughs> and there's the animation Dude, like, i didn't even know you could do that yeah it was hours for like three frames <laughs> and it's just like oh my god but um yeah what like as a creative leader um and even as a father like what advice would you give like young creatives like listening or you know people trying to be a creative professional now like what advice yeah would you give yeah man well if it was a kid if it was a younger kid i would say just make stuff Mm -hmm. don't even worry about what anyone else don't even worry about putting it out 
yet. Just make stuff, yeah. I think, and just try stuff and and figure out what brings you joy in creating that. If you're someone who's trying to make it as a creative professional, I think that's this day and age, it's, it is a challenge. I mean, we're facing unprecedented things like AI, which is like, are AI going to take over all creators? <laughs> like, it's it's going to be a, a lot more difficult. So what I'd say is like find, you're going to have to find your grit and work really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um and realize art and creativity is not just the finished product it's the whole process between so how you are interacting with your fellow coworkers and your teammates the research and the thought process that goes into this it's not just like oh i designed something cool to to make sure that you're doing all the homework in between i think like virgil abloh who, who recently passed away amazing architect, fashion designer, designer was so good at understanding everything that goes behind it around the research and the process and interacting with people that the final product looked amazing, but, and that's what everyone sees. But I think why Virgil was so successful is he was so good at researching and collaborating and understanding how things work behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And that's like the human aspect that there's no AI that can really ever replace that. They'll replace some of the processes and systems, but but they won't replace the humanness and that same type of perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not just AI either. I mean, like this, like everybody's a photographer, everybody's a filmmaker, everybody's an artist. <laughs> and I think that's, yeah. I actually think it's like kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I think it levels the playing field. I think, you know, to your point earlier, like, People are growing up with tools and resources. So like, you know, people are just like learning way faster. And yeah. I think that's awesome. Um, I just always think about like where things will go in the next 10 years. Like, yeah. you know, like it's something I think about often. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, father. I, I mean, things will definitely change. And I think there'll be good things. I think there'll be bad things. But at the at the end of the day, like to me, creative expression or creativity is is just a uh, outflowing of who you are and how mm-hmm. you see the world and that is so so important so to, so much to me is like there's that old me without you song like a glass can only spill what it contains mm-hmm. and your expression your art is just who you are on the inside and so understanding who you are loving yourself caring about yourself Figuring out your identity as a creative, as a human being, and that relationship with other people outside, I think your artwork will be a be essentially an outpouring of that. Mm. To kind of maybe like final question, I'd love to hear from you, Greg. You've brought up identity a few times. Identity is something I think all creatives really struggle with, yeah. like right, mm-hmm. because it's like in them, oh, yeah, and it's part of them, their art right. or their work, or even as a commercial creative or a, you know, creative professional, I think the identity of like what jobs you win becomes a big part of totally. like who you are. Like what have you learned about identity over the years, whether it's through you running Visco or just being an artist and like what identity like lessons or, yeah. or, or, or things have you learned in your own personal yeah. life? I mean, I think identity is, absolutely critical to an artist and there's sometimes that as you'll take on clients that you're basically just has nothing to do with what you really want but sometimes you just need to make money sure mm-hmm. like, so i get sure. that let's acknowledge that yeah. sometimes you just need to pay the bills mm-hmm. yeah but i do think the best jobs or the best work of art paid or unpaid come when they are most aligned to what makes you feel alive mm-hmm. and um I've had to think a lot about like what is my identity and what drives me and and I think it is just so important to to figure that out and for me like it's it's evolving you know I'm in my 40s now but I'm I'm still figuring that out. Yep. I'm half Asian. My mom is Chinese, but I present pretty white and I never claimed that part of my identity until hmm. a couple of years ago. Hmm. And I've realized now how important it is. What spawned yeah. that? 
Um, I had played a game called Hanafudu, which is a, it's like a, well, it's, I learned it in Hawaii where my family's from, but it's like a Japanese and Chinese flower game, card game. Mm-hmm. And um, someone had said, I posted somewhere that I was playing that. And someone was like, oh, that's great. But what are you doing to help the AAPI cause? This is when there was a lot of like attacks and things going on. Yep. And it made me realize like, oh, this is just something that I play. This is part of my upbringing. Mm. But this person is looking at me and be like, oh, that's just a white person who's like, mm. oh, they probably just like boba tea and like stealing like Asian culture. culture and it made me realize um, I'm friends with them now, which is cool. But it made me realize like, what, how do I, how do I own who I am? Mm-hmm. All that, all that past. I think another thing too is around my faith. I think there was a long period of time where I would essentially float into to my faith around my faith and just realizing how maybe this is as as i get older too like how that is actually an integral part of who i am the thing the hurts from the church or the mistakes that i have made all of that that's still who i am Mm. and i can take all of that as an artist the doubts and the mistakes that i made i take all of that and make that into something interesting and beautiful Mm -hmm. um but using it because that's that is my own interesting story that no one else has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's taking that identity, those the beautifulness and the failures and the beautiful failures, and then using that to express. So in a lot of my artwork now, I um, am incorporating a slightly more Asian aesthetic. I'm working with a, um, a clothing label called Scene S E N E in L A. And we're working on, they make suits, but I'm working on a capsule collection with them that has a, 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 it's like a slightly Asian feel to it. It's a, it's based on a Hanafudu jacket, which is similar to, so it's kind of like a Chinese version of a kimono jacket. Okay. And so just like taking a, a twist, but that perspective comes because I like, oh, this is part of who I am. And I've studied, studied Chinese fashion now as a result of that and now i can incorporate that that's cool. um or even some of the things in that works in progress um just around my faith and subtle hints of that or with music like i'm not particularly attracted to a lot of what you call like christian worship music hmm. um no hate but it's not something for me as like could we recreate what it feels like to have a, a almost like an experience that brings audio and visual together so you actually feel something mm. um without so like a cool. cliche build right right <laughs> there might not even be any words to it and mm-hmm. it, it, it there will be moments where it's actually incredibly dark and heavy because i think mm. in our faith and our journey there's moments like that we mm-hmm. all have that but then there's also times of joy and celebration and the relationship between humankind and man. And so, whereas in the past, I would have probably been like, I'm just not, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm just not going to do Christian art. This isn't even intended for Christians, but it's my faith has now started to to enter into some of the things Mm -hmm. that I'm making, the things that I'm doing. The works in progress was all about dealing with the doubts that I had Mm -hmm. about myself and my perfectionism. Like, can I take that, which is now part of my identity, and express myself as a result of it, and it'd be yeah. cool. So it's like taking all those things that are you, the good and bad, and then just like using that, whether that be your your upbringing, your faith, your culture, the doubts. Yeah, I, I struggled for a long time about like finding my voice, right? Yeah. Like, what is my voice, especially like in the in the sense of music? It's like, oh yeah, well, I started in a metal band and. Uh, I played emo music too. And then I also, uh, you know, did this orchestral film score style and like, like, I don't know who I am, but then it's just like your voice is, it's coming out whether you like it or not. Because like my, all of my influences from playing in church, all of my influences from, uh, you know, playing in those bands or playing those shows or seeing a movie or whatever it is, everything, every part of my life every little d 
detail leading up to right. now is influencing what notes I'm using for Absolutely. the score that I'm I'm working on right now. So Absolutely. like that is my voice. Yeah. You know, and I and I think that we stress out about that, but um but yeah, I love what you're saying where yeah. you're just like you're just kind of piecing the stuff that you know that's familiar to you yeah. and don't be afraid of using those uh those little bits you yeah. know that that you've acquired over your life. Yeah. I think it's just like owning it and I hate it when there's like the whole like cliche identity talk where it's like you you aren't your art, you're you're not your work. Well, I think you Greg just summarized like well, if you own it in like a healthy way, yeah. and you are like a true artist, like that lives inside you that's going to yeah. come out you are your art to a degree you know? I, I, I think you are your art yeah, yeah. it's just, it, or or at least your art is just an expression of who you are there you go yeah you know there you go i think all all creativity is and i mean there's the when i think about making things there's you, you need essentially two things you need the the knowledge of how to do it aka mm-hmm. like i know how to use photoshop or i know how yeah. to use ableton the technical capabilities but so much of what people miss with artwork is is essentially a perspective or something that's interesting, and the only thing that can come from that perspective is all all the all the things that make you you, yeah. like all the things that sometimes we try to hide too. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can, as long as you have that perspective, and then either learn the technical or you partner with someone who can do technical, you can apply that to a million different things, whether that's fragrance or whether that's fashion or whether that's music or whether that's design or whether that's photography, it's still your perspective. You just got to figure out how to be able to actually express that in an interesting way mm-hmm. or partner with someone who's like a music producer or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that takes time and skill and that's where the craft comes into things. And um, yeah, what are you like to, to end this? Like, what are you pumped on? Like what artists are you like really pumped on? Like right now, like who's putting out like, stuff that makes you excited yeah oh man well let's start let's start with music um i've really been enjoying the band a winged victory for the sullen oh yeah um as i've been trying to learn how to do ambient i've really just kind of dug in and listened there nice. um let me see from a painting side i've actually tried to make a concerted effort to not be inspired in looking at other people um meaning i feel like i've spent a lot of time looking and researching and now is the time for me to take all of that and find how i want to express myself have you painted like yeah so i'm i'm working i love painting nice um and my goal is to paint like really large six foot by six foot eight foot by eight foot like murals it's really expensive to do that and Mm -hmm. you don't want to botch it up so i'm i'm working my way up with smaller stuff yeah um so i've I've just been starting that so i'm trying to intentionally not be inspired by other people it's great um photography i mean i'm always looking at photographers work joel meyerowitz uh will always probably be my favorite he's a he's a incredible street photographer but what i love about him is you when you listen to him talk about photography he's done it I think he's done it for 50 or 60 years i believe he's in his 80s hmm. and you will feel the enthusiasm of like a teenager talking about That's discovering right. art hmm. and craft and interacting with people that. on the street and for me i think what makes people old is not really age it's so much like they just get cynical especially within art world you get cynical and like oh that's the whatever blah 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 yep and joel meyerowitz is the complete opposite of that and so i want to i want to be that as i grow older i want to remain infinitely curious and excited that's awesome and interesting um for fragrances um i've really been inspired by a brand called 1969 he's actually i think he's a swedish graphic designer if i remember Hmm. correctly Hmm. Um, but he makes the weirdest stuff ever. I mean, he'll be like, this one's inspired by weed or like this one's inspired by concrete, but it's just, it's just really interesting. Especially like so much in the fragrance world is, is trying to create mainstream things that everybody likes. And then you put a celebrity on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But 19, it's 19 dash 69 is 
the complete opposite of that. Mm. Nice. Which I love. Um, and then fashion. Um, man, I don't know if anyone comes to mind right now. Uh, maybe like a lot of, I like a lot of what like Ambush does. Um, I just think they have a really like clean aesthetic that I like. Um, but probably more for fashion for me. I'm I'm more interested less in like visual inspiration and more in companies that are trying to be ethical and environmental about their processes. Because mm-hmm. like literally at the end of the day, a shirt is a shirt. Yep. Yeah. But how you're making that shirt and how you're treating the people in the world about those, yep. I think makes a really big difference. So I appreciate like seeing how they are trying to create good environment for their workers. Akashi Kama is a company based out of Oakland and they're hmm. making things in Oakland ethically. Um, they're really, really cool. Oil and Lumber, which is actually here. Mm-hmm. Well, they're right outside of Nashville. Mm-hmm. I've heard of that. Um, Ethan is making really cool Japanese-inspired workwear. Cool. Um, and so the companies that are are being like, okay, it's yes, it's a jacket or yes, it's a pair of pants, but are we using slave labor? Uh, how? What about waste? All those yeah. things that I think are easy to forget about. For to sure. me, I'm finding I'm finding that the the processes and systems behind that incredibly inspirational. Um, yeah, so that's that's probably the first thing that come to mind. That's great. <laughs> that's that's awesome. a good good list to look up. So yeah. Yeah. thank you. Yeah, sure, dude. Thank you so much for thank uh, you all. for coming all the way up here and and hanging out with us. Yeah, thank you all. I appreciate it's it. It's been great. Appreciate it. And welcome to Nashville. Thank yeah, you. Welcome to Nashville. Yeehaw. This episode is brought to you by Smoker's Abbey. Don't smoke, but if you do, go to Smoker's Abbey. They have a wide selection of cigars, pipe tobacco, and much more located in East Nashville and Gallatin, Tennessee. Go now. Welcome to Smoker's Abbey, where you can get the best smoke. All the smoke.